Hello, Mississippi and abroad, and welcome to Justify Your Existence, the podcast that talks SEC through the lens of Mississippi. I am Parrish Alford, the Ole Miss beat writer for the Northeast Mississippi Daily Journal, and I'm joined this morning by Dalton Middleton, our Mississippi State writer. Dalton, how are you, man? Parrish, man, I'm all right. I'm still a little sick, still dealing with this crud, but... uh. You know, I I guess there's some positives with it, too, because uh, last night, I guess my cat knew I was sick. She slept in the bed with me the entire night, cuddled me all night. So uh, I think that's one of the first times she's ever done that. So I guess there are some positives with being sick every once in a while. Well, that's that's loyalty, Dalton, that you don't usually see from a cat. You know, usually, I mean, that's, uh, you know, that that's your dog that's going to jump up there and take care of you when you're sick. You don't you don't usually see that kind of loyalty from the cat. Do you, is, uh, do you have a different kind of cat? Maybe she just uh, she just felt lonely. She just wanted to sleep in the bed with me last night. She does it every once in a while, but it's not very often. So, yeah, maybe uh, maybe she just wanted the the comfort. <laughs> well, uh, I hope you get to feeling better. It's good to uh, have a day that doesn't have severe weather in the forecast, and uh, you know maybe we're getting past that a little bit. I always feel like Dalton when we get past uh, the month of April that uh, we're in the clear, but uh, here in early May, it's uh, it's been a rough start. And, uh, you know, we want to uh, remember those who are, who are cleaning up and, and uh, who have to uh, deal with uh, damage to homes and things like that. Thankfully, uh, no injuries in the area, but it looks like uh, uh, no severe weather today. I didn't think they would play baseball at Ole Miss last night, but, uh, you know, these fields, man, they'll drain and get the tarp out there, and, and these ground crews know how to work the fields. And if it's not just uh, storming when play begins, most of the time they can get them in, and and the Rebels uh, managed to play uh, for four hours and three minutes against Arkansas State last night, coming away with a, a 15-12 to 12 win. Um, you know, it was a good one to, uh, to monitor from home, uh, which I did last night. But uh, the bullpen got uh, – Got hit around, but you know how it goes in the midweek. Uh, Dalton, you're you're throwing those guys that uh, you haven't thrown much before, and you're trying to get work for different people. And sometimes that works out well, and sometimes it doesn't. And uh, Ole Miss was up eleven to two, and I'm thinking, hey, maybe this is going to be one of those run rule games that they have in the middle of the week. Sometimes, you know, the coaches agree, uh, you know, ten runs after seven, something like that. They're up eleven to two, and then all of a sudden it's eleven to ten. So, uh, not uh, not a stellar performance from some of those uh, uh, lesser used arms in the bullpen. Uh, have you had one of those uh, in the midweek this year? A game like that? Yeah, there was a game a couple weeks ago. I don't honestly, I don't remember who the opponent was, but it was like uh, State had scored 14, 14 runs in the first three or four innings. And then all of a sudden it was it was like fourteen to one or fourteen to nothing. And then all of a sudden it was like fourteen to seven or fourteen to eight. And um, state luckily their pitching staff is uh, the depth the depth of the bullpen is big enough that if someone has a, a bad day, even on a midweek, they have a pretty short leash. So uh, Lamonis will go out there and switch it up and get somebody that's actually going to get outs in, in there. So uh, didn't have to deal with that for too long. Um, but I think I was, I think I may have been at the house too, watching for that one. So, um, heck, they could have that today at the Citadel. So 
we'll see how that goes tonight. They play at six against Citadel. That's where uh, Chris Lamonis is from. You know, he played there and coached there for 12 years. Um, so he's kind of bringing them home before they go travel to uh, two hours, I guess, southeast of, to South Carolina for this weekend series. South Carolina is a good, uh, a good team. I was surprised that uh, – I, I thought Ole Miss played well when they swept, but uh, I thought I'd see more from South Carolina. Not a great batting average team. They don't hit for average, but they hit for power. And for the most part, uh, Ole Miss really pitched well against uh, Wes Clark, uh, their leading uh, home run hitter, and uh, kept the ball in the park. But uh, I think South Carolina is a good team. I think they will challenge Mississippi State. Uh, folks, before we get too much deeper into the podcast, we want to thank our partners with the Oxford Park Commission. Uh, OPC is looking for lifeguards for the city pool. The season runs from Memorial Day weekend through Labor Day. Candidates must be at least 16 and have a current lifeguard certification. Contact Aquatics Director Jamie Chandler with questions. That's J-A-M-I-E at OxfordParkCommission.com or just apply online at OxfordMS.net. And registration continues for summer day camp uh, at OPC. If you would like to uh, enroll your children, you can do that online at OxfordParkCommission.com or by visiting the Coach Howell Activity Center. Camp serves ages 5 to 13. Cost is $300 per camper Per session. Sessions run June 1 to 25 and July 5 to 30. Uh, drop off each day at 7.30. Pickup is 5.30. Games, arts and crafts, swimming and outdoor activities, and some cool field trips too. Uh, Dalton, just some of the activities that campers will take part in daily uh, at OPC. So lots of good things going on there with uh, the Oxford Park Commission. Wanted to talk about the draft a little bit uh, Today, Dalton, uh, when Elijah Moore was taken in the second round to the Jets, 34th pick overall, just kind of just missing out on uh, the first round. You know, there's it, there's so much status that goes with first round when you hear that. You know, you just you just think differently. But he was the second pick of the second round, went to the Jets, and I had someone uh, in the Facebook group uh, kind of roll their eyes is there a roll your eyes emoji? It was something like that. And um, there is, yes, there is. Yeah. yeah. Like, Oh my gosh, he's gone to the jets. Um, but the jets, it's interesting right now, Dalton, they, they seem really uh, intent on not making the same mistakes that they made with Sam Darnold. You know, they, they drafted Zach Wilson, uh, out of BYU with the number two pick overall. So they, they got their quarterback. But when you are drafting a quarterback of the future for the second time in like four years, I don't know exactly when Darnold was drafted, but it hadn't been that many years ago. That's not a good thing. You know, that doesn't speak well for uh, right. your ability to uh, to take that quarterback of the future and, and build around him. And building around is what they got really good marks for in this draft after uh, committing to uh, Zach Wilson as their quarterback of the future. Then they went uh, and drafted the, uh, the offensive lineman uh, from USC. I'm going to mess up his name. I think it rhymes with aloe vera. But uh, anyway, they got uh, the big offensive lineman there 
ahead of uh, Elijah Moore, but then Moore. They got a lot of praise for Moore uh, for that draft, uh, for that draft pick there in the second round. They went uh, at number 14 with uh, USC's Elijah Vera Tucker, uh, offensive guard. They got the tackle last year, so they feel like they're getting some protection for Zach Wilson. But they got a lot of praise now uh, for taking Elijah Moore at, at 34. Uh, the things that uh, that I saw in Moore as a player every week, uh, people who finally started breaking this down you know, talk about his speed, about his versatility, about his yards after the catch. And and the Jets, while, you know, if you're the guy being being drafted, you know, maybe uh yeah, maybe you'd rather go to the Patriots or the Packers or somebody like that. But uh, uh, the Jets right now at least look uh, look intent on not making the mistakes with Zach Wilson that they made with Sam Darnold and they do look like they're trying to give him some weapons. Yeah. And like you mentioned, I thought the Jets had a decent, I thought they had a good draft, you know, uh, and they have, they have a chance to really make an impact this year immediately, especially Elijah Moore. Um, But I'm kind of looking at the depth chart and, you know, they have at receiver right now, they have uh, Jamison Crowder, of course, is their receiver one. He had about 700 receiving yards last year, led the team, 50 receptions. Um, But then they have Denzel Mims and Corey Davis as their number two and three. So that's three, you know, pretty good receivers right there in front of Elijah Moore coming in. So Elijah Moore, it's not like he's coming into a complete mess. You know, he can at least learn a little bit from these receivers and take some notes and get a little better. Um, and honestly, you know, you think about the Corey Davis guy, I think he just came over this year. Um, you know, he's worked with A.J. Brown, you know, because he's, he's been with Tennessee the last few years. And so, you know, A.J. Brown has kind of, you know, he's been in the league two years now, three years. He's kind of made his uh, made it known that he's a, a really good yards after catch guy. So, you know, Corey Davis could possibly, you know, if, of course, a lot more A.J. Brown are going to be in contact with each other. But you know, Corey Davis could probably teach him some things that A.J. Brown does or didn't practice that might help out a lot and could really in, improve Elijah's, you know, stock, I feel like, there. You know, it, it all comes down to, you know, if he's going to have production or not. Production or not is, comes down to Zach Wilson, if he's going to be good or not. Because Sam Darnold was really bad, like, the last two years, I think. And they're, <laughs> the Jets' offense in general has been really, really bad. Um, so it hasn't been just Sam Darnold, but – uh we're going to see what's going to happen. I, I think it, you know, it, it sounds terrible when you look at it, you know, when he gets drafted, it's like, oh crap, he got drafted to the Jets. That kind of sucks. But like, really, I don't think it's that bad of a situation as it could have been right now because they did have a really good draft. Like you mentioned, they're building around Zach Wilson, got some offensive linemen, um, picked up Elijah Moore, who has three pretty good receivers to learn from, could eat, but, but could easily also break into that three receiver rotation. Cause you know, Denzel Mims and Corey Davis are both, you know, not tier one receiver. So he could easily replace one of those if he, you know, shows out and has a great early season or preseason or something. And, uh, you know, so I don't, I don't think it's the worst uh, spot in the world for him to get drafted there. Well, I think I talk about the commitment here and it looks like, you know, a new coach with uh, Robert Soleil, a new offensive coordinator, a new system. And uh, they, they stayed with offense with that theme now, I don't know what they were like defensively last year, but uh, their fourth pick was uh, Michael Carter, the running back out of, uh, out of North Carolina, where, you know, North Carolina put up some good numbers last year 
with uh, with with Mac Brown <clears throat> and with Phil Longo, uh, who was the offensive coordinator uh, hired by Hugh Freeze and then under Matt Luke uh, at Ole Miss. So, uh, you know, a, a tempo spread it out offense and, you know, they've done good things there. And so uh, the Jets pick up Carter, a running back who uh, is kind of small and shifty and, and that kind of guy, you know, that versatile and elusive. And so they're, <clears throat> you know, they're, they're drafting, you know, to a system and they're building a system and putting the pieces in place. And then they went uh, with some defensive picks on, on the back end of the draft. So uh, it'll be interesting, man. It's just, uh, you know, the New York teams have, uh, it's been a while. It, it's been a while since they've, been good and when they've been good I guess you know the Jets made what was it three straight uh, AFC title games uh, years ago with Rex Ryan and and uh, haven't uh, haven't heard from them much since then yeah (laughs) yeah so they're uh, they're trying they're trying and and uh, like I said it might be uh, we might see Elijah Moore getting in on the ground floor of, of something good so uh, we'll see. Could be a, a good spot for Elijah Moore. Uh, speaking of uh, of draft picks, uh, Dalton, um, he was not the only one, uh, of course, uh, for Ole Miss. Uh, Royce Newman uh, was also uh, drafted, and uh, you know Kenny Yaboa was not. But uh, but anyway, Dean Leonard, uh, one of the two Canadian transfers. Uh, who uh, came onto the team last year when their season was canceled because of uh, COVID-19. Dean Leonard was drafted last night, uh, Tuesday night, <coughs> when the CFL had its draft. Uh, and he was taken in the second round by Hamilton. And uh, so all of a sudden, you know, uh, he'll face an interesting decision there. You know, he was a pretty accomplished Canadian player didn't make a huge impact at Ole Miss last year, but kind of came on in the summer, uh, you know, new, new orientation, new things to get used to and that sort of thing, different environment. Um, he did have a, like an 84 yard fumble return in the egg bowl. Um, but, uh, just didn't make just a ton of plays last year, but he'll have a decision to make now. He was, he was very accomplished college player before, uh, he got to Ole Miss and, Grew up in in Canada. Grew up in Calgary. Uh, his dad played uh, in the CFL for Calgary, so he'll have a decision uh, to make now. Uh, Dean Leonard uh, of Ole Miss. He's in the mix to start right now, so uh, not uh, not somebody they could just lose uh, and and not feel it. Yeah, maybe maybe it's just my own ignorance, but I did not realize the CFL had a draft. You know, I, I didn't realize that until last night when I started seeing some people tweeting about it and people player, players getting drafted by it. And so I was kind of like, it kind of caught me by surprise whenever uh, I, when I saw that because I, I had no idea that they had a draft that they did every single year. And it kind of seems like, I guess, that it's not players that have already already said, hey, we're leaving. I guess they just draft college players and they have the choice to leave or whatever. But I, I don't really know how it works. But it, I didn't, it caught me by surprise last night. Well, I don't think much of the CFL draft. You know, it, it's not like something that I think, wow, man, I, I got to see uh, <clears throat> who the Tiger Cats got. Uh, that, that's not something that's uh, on, on my radar. But I guess it stands to reason, uh, you know, most most of these pro leagues have uh, some type of draft. Uh, so they gotta, got to uh, bring in their players some way. I mean, Canadian football in general, uh, I've always found – 
you know, I, I've enjoyed watching it. You know, as a kid growing up, when it started making its way onto ESPN or, you know, things like that, it was, you know, different. You, you, you punt it into the end zone. It's not returned. You get a point. You know, you got all these, uh, all these people moving in the backfield before the snap. You know, there, there are some, some differences there. And, and had, uh, I had Belton Johnson on last, uh, last week and talked to him a little bit, former Ole Miss offensive tackle, played in the NFL for a little bit, you know, had a couple of seasons with the Bengals and, and then really kind of blossomed in the CFL, got an opportunity uh, in Saskatchewan and played for like nine years and now has made a life there uh, in Canada, is, is still uh, still there and, and uh, doing some different things. Uh, you know, has a job, but then he, he maintains a relationship with uh, with the pro club, with Saskatchewan also. You know, and, and he's been up there. We're talking about a guy from Coffeyville, Mississippi. Uh, yeah, he's been there now uh, for a number of years. He, he started out in Saskatchewan, which is almost like central Canada, and then went uh, to play a little bit uh, over in east, in the east part of the country, and then back in the west. So he's, he's kind of like been all over. But – you know, the CFL, and, and he used Saskatchewan as an example and uh, compared them to Green Bay in the sense that that the franchise is owned by the community. It's really supported. And the stadium size might only be 35,000, but it's allowed 35,000 um, when you get your people in there and you fill it up and they're active and they're engaged. And, uh, of course, the CFL didn't play last year, but when they do play – they get that kind of support in Saskatchewan. And look, man, uh, it doesn't have to be to me, to me, football doesn't have to be 75,000 people to be exciting to me. If you have 35,000 and you're filling it up and your people are engaged, that that's a good atmosphere. I agree. And, uh, I think we saw that a little bit last year with COVID and, uh, you know, because, you know, of course, obviously last year they didn't get to fill up the stadium that they, they wanted to. But, you know, I went to a few games where, like, Alabama had a decent crowd there. Um, Georgia had a pretty decent crowd. And it was still – Georgia was probably the best environment I went to. Um, and, and while they weren't full, there was still a pretty decent crowd there because, you know, they have 100,000 people that fit in there and there's 25% capacity. Um but they were electric. They were that game was a great game. The fans were into it the whole time, and it was one of the best football experiences I've had, you know, the entire year. And since you know I hadn't covered college football before that, besides a game or two, um, one of the best college football experiences I've probably had since I was back in school and went to games. And so I agree with that statement right there. You know, when you have twenty, twenty-five thousand um, active people, you know, going crazy with the, with the announcers and doing everything right that fans should be doing. Uh, it, it's, it's a good experience. And so you don't, you don't need 75,000, you don't need a hundred thousand people there. It, it's nice, but it's not required. Right. 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 Hey, it's good when you can get it. Yeah. That, that, that it is. Look, the, the big stadiums, the massive crowds, you know, it's not like uh, the fan base there is not engaged. But uh, you're right. It's not mandatory. I mean, I went to a small school, uh, a uh, small at the time, uh, Northeast Louisiana had almost uh, 12,000 enrollments. So it had a larger enrollment, uh, you know, than Ole Miss back uh, in the 80s when I was there. But it was a small athletic program, Southland Conference, one double A. But, 
when we had people in the stands, when we were playing a, a Louisiana Tech or, or you know, a, a conference game, it was, it was exciting. When you see people there and engaged, it's exciting. And now, so uh, my son went off to Mississippi College, and I tried to sell him on the small college athletics uh, experience, and and uh, it just wasn't there. <laughs> you know, it just it just didn't take. You get a lot of kids that go to uh, some smaller schools, and you know, and and uh, they. Uh, they, they hope that their team wins, but uh, they're just not uh, all in, and they maintain their SEC uh, fan card, uh, whoever it belongs to. You know, if uh, you've got Mississippi State fans, Ole Miss fans, LSU fans uh, on that uh, Mississippi College campus, and that's the way it goes. I mean, you can go uh, – you know, they tell me to uh, any of these Gulf South Conference schools, back when they all played uh, – you had all these Arkansas schools back in the GSC. The GSC's kind of uh, remade itself, but, you know, it'd be the same at Delta State. You go to these small schools and you can go to their game day and you're going to see a lot of, uh, you know, uh, SEC gear, whether, you know, wh- whoever uh, those those kids are, are there cheering for their teams, they're, they're going to be – you know, they also have, have grown up uh, following SEC schools in the state. So that's kind of the nature – uh, of small college athletics. Now, in trying to uh, convince Kyle Alford to uh, to embrace the small college athletic experience, and this is my take uh, also, Dalton, it, it wasn't just a pitch. Um, when you're watching the game in the stands uh, and you, you're there with your buddies and uh, your team is down by uh, a touchdown and the defensive back uh, gets the interception and he is running to the end zone, he's got a clear path, Nobody's going to stop him. Um, you can't tell the difference in the stands from someone who is running to that end zone with four four speed as opposed to four three speed. Right. Yeah. No, I agree with that completely. Um, and I, I had a couple of buddies that played college ball, and um, one at Bellhaven, one at Delta State. And it was crazy to me. Um, and I don't know if it was just because it's, you know, Bellhaven is one of those like MC, like you, you try to mention, you mentioned Kyle trying to get him into it there. Um, I went to a Bellhaven game and it was just, there was, it was no fans there. Parents basically, it was just basically just parents and a few of the fans. Um, but then I went to Delta state. And of course, I think I went to like a playoff game or something. It was my buddy's senior day. And um, they had a great crowd, fantastic crowd. Um, but it, they're also, like you mentioned, when you're walking up, you know, they have the tailgate, but a lot of those tailgates are uh, LSU tents, Mississippi State tents. There's a few <laughs> Alabama tents. Um, you know, of course, there's some Delta State ones, but, you know, that that crowd, you know, as Delta State doesn't doesn't have many people in their stands, but uh, that was a fantastic crowd for Delta State. And, you know, when they're cheering or scoring touchdown, I don't, I don't think Delta State scored a touchdown that day. I think they got beat pretty bad. But, uh, um, you know, it – you really can't tell the difference. And it, it, it's fun to cheer on games like that because in a way it kind of feels like high school games because, you know, it has probably about the same amount of fans, maybe a little bit more. Um, but then again, it's, you know, these guys are college athletes. They're faster, they're better, they're stronger. And, you know, they it, it's a fun environment. I do think, Dalton, that uh, from the small college uh, on their part, you've, you've got to provide some type of infrastructure. Uh, some type of stadium, something something different. Uh, I know Bellhaven is a rel- relatively new program as college football goes, and and probably when you went, they were playing at Pearl High School or something like that. They may have uh, may have their own place now, but uh, 
you've got to at least provide that. And it, at the end of the day, uh, you've got to win. Uh, that's going to attract attention when you win. That's going to create a fan base when you win. But um, it's about competition. When it's all said and done, it's about competition. And it's exciting to me as a fan to watch guys on the field playing hard, uh, playing together, and, and, and then maybe fighting through some adversity and, and watching them emerge and be successful at the end that's kind of neat that's kind of neat to watch yeah no I agree and it, it's just it just comes back down to it you know at the end of the day if they're winning and they're playing well I mean football is football no matter what level it is you know I've, I've really enjoyed covering the high school level and there's been some high school games you know Tupelo South Panola stuff like that that's just fantastic environments fantastic games and then you know I've also been to some state games where uh you know, they're playing South Alabama or something, and there's, you know, 8,000 people there, and it's just an awful crowd. So, I mean, like you said, at the end of the day, I mean, it, it, football is going to be football. People are going to show up, and people are going to be fun, and there's going to be some environments that are great, some that are going to be really bad. And, uh, you know, it all it all happens in different ways. You know, I've had, I've had a lot better experiences at some high school games at a 2A high school or 1A high school than I have at, you know, an SEC school sometimes, and that's just the way it goes every once in a while. Folks, that'll wrap us up for this edition of Justify Your Existence, talking SEC through the lens of Mississippi. You can check out our work at djournal.com. Scroll down to the drop-down menu. Find that drop-down menu on the left. Scroll down to the Ole Miss and Mississippi State pages and watch the stories flow. You can find us on Facebook as well. Ole Miss discussion with Parrish Alford, Mississippi State discussion with Dalton Middleton. Lots of good things in those groups. Thanks for being with us, folks. Come back and join us tomorrow.